Yeah, How does that relate to the portal? Around that time, this this is years ago. Um, this is around 2008, 2009, around that High Tech Act. Yeah. Um, where there's that big push for um, interoperability, but there's less focus on patient portals. But um, it was there doing that field work. I understood that um, perhaps if people had more access to their records, um, in their pockets, how would it change the way they facilitated discussions with partners about testing? When were you tested? Um, could you show me your results? Could you share these results with me? Hello, and welcome to Informatics in the Round a podcast designed to help everyone become a part of the dialogue about topics in biomedical informatics. I'm Kevin Johnson, physician and informatics researcher at the University of Pennsylvania at KBJohnsonMD on Twitter and www.kevinbjohnsonmd.net on the web. Our special guest today is the man who started off this episode, a young faculty member from Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, Kavan Mark Jackman, is a doctor PH and MPH and an assistant professor in pediatrics in adolescent medicine. We met a few months ago and I thought it would be fun to discuss some of what he's doing with electronic health record patient portals with our group. Sarah Bland, you know, she's a leader in Vanderbilt's Center for Precision Medicine and she's here as is Jane Bach, an extremely successful performing songwriter in Nashville. Jane is joined by Jeannie McGuinn, a partner with Jane in songwriting. They go back many years. Jeannie was actually a huge fan of Jane's and actually is somewhat afraid to meet her, as you'll hear. But they now work together from time to time. You'll get to hear from all of them discussing Kevon's work, as well as work that still needs to be done to improve the use of patient portals. Hope you enjoy this episode. said I don't remember that particular episode but I did watch the Flintstones well I've watched every episode so that particular one is the one where Anne Margaret playing the role of Anne Margrock sings a lullaby to pebbles it's called the littlest lamb you should look it up it's very pretty yeah and of course I have I have like two other major lullabies in my head let's see so Kathleen Battle on her album did Fe-do-do, Piti son mama. It's this beautiful little French lullaby. And then, what's the one that, um, oh, it's Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. A Gentle Breeze on Hushabye Mountain. Remember that one? You know, I don't. I certainly remember Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, but oh. I, I don't. I, oh. I at times have so much crammed into my head that musically, so much music crammed in there. Yeah. That Seriously, I mean, I can remember something I wrote 40 years ago, but I don't always remember things like that. Well, that's so. okay. Well, I've done nothing really important, so all I remember is things like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. I would like to share my favorite lullaby. That, well, please do. Uh, well, you, you did that French one, and mine's not as refined um, sounding by, by any means, but... Um, when I was little, my grandfather, he would sort of sing, but also just say, 
The raccoon tail goes round and round, and a possum tail is bare. But the poor little rabbit, he ain't got no tail, just a little ball of hair. We can put that to music. Yes. <laughs> so, Kavan, do you have a uh, do you have a lullaby since we're all sharing? These lullabies. lullabies are not. <laughs> <laughs> I um uh, I unfortunately do not. What? <laughs> do not. No, no, no lullabies over here. Um, uh. I think what we got was uh, go to sleep. Don't <laughs> <laughs> get activated again. <laughs> yep. So everybody, welcome to another episode of Informatics in the Round. I've got a great group of people here. Uh, let's see, uh, Kevon, who are you? Uh, my name is Kevon Jackman. I am an assistant professor in the Division of Adolescent and Young Adult Medicine in the Department of Pediatrics at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. Well, good, good. Uh, Sarah, who are you? I am the Sarah T. Bland. Uh, I am a senior project manager in the Department of Biomedical Informatics at Vanderbilt University Medical Center. T, huh? Sarah T. Bland. That's a first. What's the T are for? We like what the T stands for. Uh, get ready. Timberlake. Seriously? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Were your parents hippies? <laughs> no. Uh, it's a family name. The uh, the Timberlakes of oh, uh, uh, Virginia. Yeah. So my ancestor, um, uh, John Timberlake, was one of the um, guards for John Smith uh, back in the day when he they came over. Wow. You mean, what's her face is John Smith? Um, well, that's not true. They oh. never met. <laughs> Disney's, Disney ruined us all. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I couldn't think of her name. But uh, if Pocahontas. I'm related to, uh, to Justin. Yeah, sure, probably. But uh, my family got here first. So There it is. Hey, <laughs> so Jane, who are, who are you and who is your guest? I guess. My name is Jane Bach, and I am a songwriter here in Nashville. That's me. And this is uh, someone that I work with, Jeannie McQuinn. And uh, Jeannie is here because we happen to be writing today. We're working on a project together, and I asked her if she would like to stay because these are always so fun. So, Jeannie, how nice to meet you, first of all. Thank you. And how do you know this woman? Oh... <laughs> Uh, I've been in town for 10 years, and I knew who Jane Bach was before I ever moved here um, as a songwriter and yeah. icon to me, you know. <laughs> and the very first round that I went to at the Bluebird Cafe when I moved here, um, so we figured it out. It was like the end of October 19, um, I'm sorry, 2012, 2012, 2012. It was Jane's round. And I was like, holy cow, that's Jane Block. Okay, okay. And I was too shy to meet her that night. Um, and then I, I heard her again in another round at another place. You know, so. And she didn't come up to me then I either. Didn't, I was mm -hmm. too shy. But, but at a mutual friend's Christmas party two years ago. Yeah, three yeah, years ago. I was like, I'm going to talk to her. She, you know, she and her husband were there and I flirted with she flirted with my husband yeah. and then well, you um, were talking so I was talking to him and, 
anyway, we met and became friends Very and started working together. And Jane, uh, Jeannie also runs a publishing company. And and um, what's the name of your publishing company? Great Big River Music. Okay, I'm going to need you to send me a link to that so I can po put it in our notes. Absolutely. My husband was my publisher, so I inherited oh. that from. Okay. Cool. Um, Jane, some of the people here that are listening will not remember why we've called this informatics in the round, but it was just brought up. So can you just say a word or two about what this round is? Right. In Nashville, well, actually now everywhere, but I will say that it started in Nashville. Um, being the home of, of music, it's Music City, there really was not a home for songwriters to get up and perform their original work. It just really wasn't done unless you were a singer songwriter who wanted to be in, you know, a performer. But at that time, back in the very early eighties, there were a lot of us that were just songwriters and uh, a woman named Amy Curland opened up a club called the Bluebird Cafe. And she put together this idea of a, of a writer's round and a writer's round has four people in it generally, uh, four people and you literally sit in a round and you only do original music. You don't do any covers. And uh, that is the one rule. And you go around, you know, from person to person and then back again. Generally, you get to do four or five songs each. And again, they're all original. And in Nashville, what you find is, like myself, I've been very fortunate to have had some hits. And so these are songs that, that people recognize. And there are always stories behind the songs and they love to hear that. So it's, it's fun. I really enjoy doing it. I never thought I would enjoy performing because I'm not a great singer. I'm just a writer. And so I am called a performing songwriter. And um, I just love it. I love doing it. I, I, I just really have a good time with it. So I don't, I'm not exactly sure I even remember, was it with me that you started calling it around or was it before? And that's why you asked me to do it. It was before. We actually had a naming contest in, in episode zero. And a number of names came through totally informatic. Uh, an informatician walks into a bar and the one that won was informatics in the round because it was explained just the way you did that. And the only thing that you didn't say that I've heard people say is that it's also a part of the round culture that the other three songwriters chime in either with harmony or sometimes with the egg or something if, kind of. If they know the song, you know, if it's a song that, that everybody knows. Um, and also, the, generally, when you do a round, you're doing a round with your friends. So you're doing a round with people that you work with. So a lot of times you'll be doing songs that you wrote with somebody else in the round. So, yes, there's a lot of interaction. And we all do know each other, hang out together, work together. And so there's a certain camaraderie there. And, and the people... The most important thing for me is that the people in the audience love it. They really do. They they enjoy yep. that camaraderie and the stories and everything. Anyway. So, so why that turns out to be the perfect segue is because the, the topic today is actually about patient portals and what works with them and what doesn't work with them and how they can be used to help healthcare. And I stumbled upon this topic when for the for two previous episodes we talked about this whole idea that patients can now see their 
notes and patients can see their lab results and how will that go and what we heard was basically it went very well there was essentially radio silence so Kevon has asked me to be a part of a group who are going to be mentoring him as he studies something that relates to patient portals and I thought it would be fun to both hear what his desire is but then also to hear what all of your desires are because they may actually be things that we can all talk about as if it was a round so I was so excited so, yes that's right high five there it is hey can I do that? let's try this wait I, I guess I'll get the video everybody hands up let's try this ready and high five on three three two one high five there it is oh good I should I'll take a picture of that from the video that'll be good okay so Kevon tell us about what you do and why patient portals matter to you right um, and everybody ask questions because he's gonna undoubtedly say something nobody understands so I'm just gonna sit back and watch you guys take over go ahead right um, oh my goodness uh, so this question is, is often uh, troubling for me because I don't know where to start. Um, but I will start with um, my work as a disease intervention specialist in Miami-Dade County. I went around um, notifying individuals uh, within their STD prevention and control program, notifying residents in Miami of positive um, tests for chlamydia, gonorrhea, HIV, and what I saw, what was most notable were the new positives uh, that were young people, teenagers for HIV. And we'll do this thing called um, partner elicitation or contact tracing as, as has popped back up as a term with uh, COVID, where we try to identify exposures um, uh, so that they can be referred in for testing. Uh, so if someone's a new positive, we find out uh, who've been their sex partners within the, the past year. So the younger folks, you know, uh, 15, 16, 17, they would typically report like maybe one or two uh, partners, but this one partner would be uh, much older and um, have been post-test counseled for HIV um, years ago. And that so was- So wait, what does is, what is post-test counseling mean? Yeah. yeah. So post-test counsel, um, many states have laws as part of prevention and control uh, for HIV um, because we wanna make sure number one, individuals are aware of their status. And once, that they, once they are aware of their status, they're also linked to services. So if our laboratory and HIV um, is reportable, so it, it goes to the state, um, the state kicks it back to the local healthcare system to make sure that whoever received that positive laboratory result are in fact aware of that positive um, laboratory result. Um, so this could happen at a doctor's office. Often it's referred to the health department. The health department sends a disease intervention specialist, which was yours truly, um, to the home of, of that individual. And we'll talk, we, we would um, notify the individual of their um, positive HIV tests, or they'll come into the clinic. As you can imagine, it's, it could be a heavy conversation, uh, but we just reassure that there are medications 
Um, and many people live healthy lifestyles. Um, I would often say healthier than me. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, uh, but we'd want to make sure that they know where to get those services, who are um, reputable uh, HIV providers in Miami-Dade, uh, 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 Miami-Dade County, as well as uh, social support um, and a host of other services. So that comes with this whole post test council. And another part of that is saying, um, okay, so within the past year, uh, whom have you um, also had sex with? And, um, and the purpose of that is solely to ensure that those people are referred in for testing so that if they, you know, are, um, are positive for HIV, they can also get similar services and also receive similar education. Um, so it was in that process in which I, I noticed this trend and that's, that's called a post-test council. Um, and, and which yeah. also ties into uh, receiving results. Uh, you know, when uh, there was a talk about patients receiving um, electronic uh, results uh, before a doctor could give it to them, uh, this was one of the topics that was brought up is, is conditions, our conditions which could bring about psychological distress and the risks of that and, you know, whether it's a risk um, you know, of not having that sort of support there uh, with you, as opposed to, you know, just viewing it on a laboratory result, there's no one there to talk to. Um, so that was an interesting uh, discussion, but that. Um, so how does that, how does that relate to the portal? So around that time, this, this is years ago. Um, this is around 2008, 2009, around that high tech act. Yeah. Um, where there's that big push for um, interoperability, but there's less focus on patient portals. But um, it was there doing that field work, and and this is why I do I appreciate uh, you know working in the field and then taking it to research. I understood that um, perhaps if people had more access to their records um, in their pockets, how would it change the way they facilitated discussions with partners? about testing, when were you tested? Um, could you show me your results? Could you share these results with me as opposed to um, just taking uh, someone's word for it? So my research around patient portals started really about asking those questions and trying to understand how people even felt about that idea um, about discussing and sharing and disclosing test records using a patient portal. So let me ask you this, because when you first told me, I can imagine Jane, I know how much Jane loves privacy issues. When you, <laughs> when you first told me that there were people who would actually, you know, pull out their portal potentially and show their test results, or at least would want that, I was, I was shocked, I'm sure you remember, because my thought was, I, could, I didn't know anybody would be that forward. But you're telling us that there are patients who are both comfortable with this and who might even expect it? Right. And, and there are people who have done it, you know, anecdotally uh, that, I've, that I've spoken to. But there are huge issues around privacy. How is this done? Are you showing me uh, physically in, in, in real time? Are you sending me a screenshot of something or, or a picture of something which could, you know, bring about other issues of privacy. 
Um, so this is is what I would say it's still a burgeoning area. I haven't seen, although there are several uh, private companies that focus on disclosing electronic uh, HIV and STI test results. Um, you know, you don't really see a lot of recommendations from from physicians or providers or guidance on how to even safely facilitate uh, these conversations. Well, Jane, I know you're thinking something. No, I just, you know, I know that we have a portal. My husband went through cancer and we set up this My Health portal uh, thing. And I, when I knew I was going to do this, this afternoon I went and I looked, you know, to kind of see what was going on there and what, and I mean, there's a lot of information on there. And uh, it even had, he has his six month procedure on July 11th. Now I'm coming up, yes. Now I have not um, looked at this portal until today for quite a while, actually. He's been cancer free for two years, thank God. And so, you know, yes. And he does go through these, it was every three months now, every six months. And, I looked at it and it had new information on it. It also had his uh, upcoming appointment. And I mean, I was like, whoa, I mean, I haven't looked at this thing, but it's obviously self-generating. Yes. <laughs> and I, what I had mentioned in my email just very briefly was, it, it does, I have privacy issues. It's scary. I understand, I think it's necessary as a patient I want that information. There's nothing that used to make me matter than when I would ask the doctor for something and I couldn't have it. It's mine. What are you talking about? I can't have it. That's mine. It's about me. But I digress. So anyway, I just felt there's it's a two-headed coin or whatever the expression is because, yes, as a patient, how wonderful to be able to access access that. As a privacy issue, it scares me. I had my identity stolen five years ago. Mm-hmm. Sorry, seven years ago. 2015. And I mean, they stole everything from me. They so wait, stole how, do we, my- how do we know that it's really you now? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it was hard. And it was, they, they don't know how it happened, but they, yeah. they finally tracked it down to where it came from, believe it or not, in Russia. And, well, there was some sort of something where they were, you know, uh, just reaching out through the, through the net to everyone's computer. I don't know. But they did. They got, they got, it was horrible. Anyway, so that scares me to think the information they got was all financial. They got into my bank account. They got into my credit cards they got into you know that's all financial but what if they had accessed per, real personal information about me my medical information uh, if i if i worked in an office and i needed to go get another job is there can they do that i mean can they access that information and is there something in there that's going to prevent me from being hired you know i mean it's scary but on the other and, hand we just went through the pandemic, and I'm, I'm not going to pull up my phone here now, but to, to Kevin's point in terms of his project, if I were to go to my phone and you were to say to me, can I just see that you're, you're vaccinated? We actually have an app. I mean, in your portal, it shows that you're vaccinated. Does that freak you out or is that okay? Because that's closer to what he's trying to do. 
I'm vaccinated and boosted. I don't care. I, you know, I, I have that on my phone and I also have my card laminated. So, I mean, you know, I'm, it's in my passport because I travel a lot. I, I do have to have that information with me. And, uh, you know, I have no problem with that at all. That's not the kind of, and truthfully, I can't even imagine any information medically that they would get that would be, you know, a problem for me or for Gary at our age, you know? I mean, I just can't imagine it. But I would imagine if I were younger, uh, that might really be something I would question. But what you're yeah. hearing is that the younger group seems to be even more possibly okay about this, right, Kevin? Is that interesting? Well, it's a different generation. Yeah, yeah it's, um, and, and you know, you're right. It's, it's different types of privacy breaches um you know that kind of concerns folks it's you know for example somebody may be i i guess first starting off uh closer to that you know hacking you know we do recall cases where there have been uh ransomware attacks on health um systems where hackers have hijacked and even shut down here locally in baltimore um, uh, I believe it was Med, I don't want to mention any names, but a, a hospital system hijacked their records. They had to go offline. The same thing happened to the local city government um, where they had to shut everything down. So we're living in that age where, you know, there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of resources um, generated uh, or directed towards cybersecurity. Um, when it comes to uh, like sensitive matters, um, sort of like health, um, HIV, sexually transmitted infections, um, there's a lot of fear about secondary disclosures. Um, so if someone now knows that you're, um, you know, you're living with HIV, um, will they, uh, you know, will they share that information with right. someone else? Uh -huh. Does, is that, is that something that's created by sharing, um, via the patient portal, not necessarily because people had disclosed that information before, you know, just <clears throat> word of mouth. And, you know, there's also a risk of secondary disclosure there. Um, that's the next thing that, you know, that's the next thing that is yeah. Yeah. so freaking upsetting is that information. I mean, I, I read and this just blew me away course i'm old so i don't deal with this anymore but the young women they have period trackers on their phone and they those there's going to be accessed are you kidding me i it, yeah. it's fine the whole thought of it is so it makes me shake Horrible. yeah uh that's actually what i was thinking about a little bit more is that uh you know with the news of roe v wade being overturned and living in tennessee um <laughs> you know, uh, things like period tracking and even uh, abortion status, you know, uh, or even uh, pinging a location near a Planned Parenthood, um, you know, where where those privacy lines are um, is going to be interesting because, uh, you know, we know that there are states that are willing to try to find some way to criminalize even crossing borders for a woman to go get a, a safe abortion. Yeah, that, that a woman now is going to have to, they said in Texas, they're going to do it. I, I don't know if they can, truthfully, and how they can enforce it, but that you're going to have to show a negative pregnancy test if you want to leave the state. What are they nuts? I mean, 
Yeah. That's why I think we need to just cut that state off and let them. (laughs) Even though it's ludicrous to enforce something like that, the thought that they would even mention it, that they would even think it up is horrifying. I don't want to go there. So so I should say, um, just within the scope of of the research that I do, I'm a... um, you know, the only thing I really focus on self-disclosure. So somebody's willing, you know, free of coercion decision to share information with with a uh, trusted partner, with some with someone they're willing to share this information with. Um, any sort of unauthorized access is is not cool. It's not okay. That's fine. Um, you know, so. Uh... This is interesting to me um, for a number of reasons. One is that I do a lot of work in uh, our patient portal um, as far as the family history goes. And um, we do a lot of messaging with our patients back and forth and through the portal. Um, do you find uh, that there's a particular population or, or group? Um, you know, you mentioned the age thing, um, but I could see this also being uh, helpful for LGBT communities um, as far as STD disclosure. Um, uh, and HIV disclosure. Are you seeing that with the research you're doing? Yeah. So in 2018, uh, we serve. We I got to add some of these questions to the American Men's Internet Survey, which is a nationwide survey among um, gay, bisexual, and other uh, sexual minority men. And we did see overwhelmingly. I think uh, upwards of like. 90% were willing to share with main partners, closer to 76% willing to share with non-main partners and disclose these online results. Um, we saw differences by age. Younger participants tended to be more willing uh, to, to use their patient portals for exchanging or, or showing uh, test results. And we also saw differences by um, the participants who were living with HIV. Uh, participants living with HIV by proportion were less willing um, to use patient portals for disclosure. Um, so that is something that was um, noticed as well in, in terms of differences uh, by groups. So why why do you think that? Stigma, stigma. Ah. It, yeah, HIV, there's um, significant stigma still um, living with HIV. And I, I, I was a part of another research project, um, I, I speak with uh, youth who are living with HIV, and uh, one of the topics is disclosure, and it's it's still a, a big concern about um, folks who are not educated, society, um, we're still living in a society where people make jokes about living with HIV, uh, say very insensitive things um, on, on TV, on, you know, media, and uh, this all impacts, um, you know, people who are living with HIV, you know, and, and it helps to build that stigma where it's something that um, you need uh, additional supports uh, and, you know, a good strong sense to, to be open and to share that information if you want to, if you choose to with individuals. The interesting thing is, at least this is what I believe and I could be completely wrong, is the more open we are as a society, the less stigmatic things are, you know, that the only way you can, you can rid 
a stigma from something is to enlighten it and, you know, let the sunshine on it. Absolutely. And what's interesting about this whole issue of stigma, something else we could cover at some point, um, there are communities, for example, who are very open about people who have mental health disorders. And what they are finding is that the more transparent and open people are about mental health disorders and educating people about them, the less stigma there is and the more resources are provided to help them to get into situations where they might be safer. So, you know, what, what, what amazes me about this topic is I don't think any of us, maybe Sarah, because she's progressive, but I don't think any of the rest of us would have imagined that there would be a population of kids who say, look, you want to know about me, here it is and use the use the portal in that way. So I'm really I'm plotting him for studying it. But I also want to ask you guys this question. So because what I've learned from Kevon is that there are ways people think about using the portal that I never ever imagined. And as one of the people who has been a big proponent of the idea of patient portals like my health at Vanderbilt, I'm curious what you would say. So Jane, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh oh. Jeannie, I see you're up there. Go ahead, Jeannie, you go first. Um, when I'm looking at back at my like blood tests and things, I don't know what CPMH means, you know, and I, so I do like to look back and see if something has gone up or down. I mean, I know what the bun is, you know, or your cholesterol, but I don't know what all these other combinations of letters are. So if they Well, because in some cases, it doesn't matter that the information is up there. I don't know what it means. Yeah, they so... can explain it. So you'd like the portal to explain itself better. Wow. Yes. What is, what is this? Very good, Jeannie, what because is, I've noticed okay. that. What is this blood test thing? What is it? Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I mean, is, is this good or is this bad? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's another thing. I don't know. Sometimes when I read it, I go, well, should I be happy about this? <laughs> uh, CPMH is actually easy. It's how much of Jane Bach you've turned into an identity you've stolen. Low, normal, high. Well, if it's high and it says like maybe seven, but geez, what's the highest? How bad is it? You know, seven out of what? Yeah, seven out of what? It's yeah. just more information, I guess. Well, that's good though. I'll tell you one thing that your portal can be used for that people people like. If you're actually out of state and nobody can get to your records, you can actually delegate your entire record through the portal to them. So you can say, go online to this to this website and you can see my entire record. They get like a one-time use access to your entire oh. record. See, now I didn't know that. Why don't they advertise that? You know, I'm out in LA quite a lot. I'm, I live there like fall, fall, five fall, months fall. I understand. Whatever. But... <laughs> Be great. I've had situations where nothing medically crises that way, but like with my eyes, you know, my most recent prescription, and I didn't have it. I don't yep. know access it or anything. How to call the eye doctor? It's um, in there. It's in there. <laughs> <laughs> and that cuts down on time too. Yeah. In terms of like getting those records, if you're out of state, it, you know, great cuts down on time. Yeah. I um. But I think that has always been a, a, a challenge, like this translation of medical information to the patient. Um, I'm not a physician, but I, I would imagine that physicians have, that's always been an art 
is, is communicating information uh, to the patient in a way in which the patient understands and it's digestible and they can make use of that. And I think the same thing is, is true with the information that's within the patient portals. How do you translate it? How do you diffuse it in a way in which it's under, it can be understood by a, a patient who is um, 15 years old um, in Baltimore City, uh, you know, 36 years old, you know, in, in North Carolina, you know, right. or it's 67 in LA, you know, so it's uh it's it's a challenge and i think there, there's lots of uh room for growth and exploration um in that area your next project well so some sort of glossary almost you know yeah. where if i were to read something i would go well, i don't know what that means and i could just go to the glossary and look it up yep yep okay we'll take care of that so sarah if i asked you i'd like the portal to blank what would you say um g-rated I've thought a lot about this actually. Uh, one, becoming a parent and having uh, access to Bradley's portal has been really nice because uh, I can send his doctor messages and everything. Also, keep track of his appointments. Um, it was really nice too because uh, he was actually born at Vanderbilt. So I have all of his vaccination records in there. Hmm. Um, so when we enrolled him for school, that was great. Um, actually, I do think it would be nice to be able to track trends. Uh, it would be nice to be able to look at like my cholesterol over time and see how it's changed, you know, from six or seven years ago. Um, so that would be a really cool thing. Um, I think though, uh, what I would really love is a better way to um, add old information in uh, from other doctors. Like I've lived in six states. Jeez. So uh, I have a, hey, you know, don't hate on that. Uh, I, um, I have a doctor that I went to for a few years in Georgia and they're not on. Oh my God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and I survived somehow. Um, so uh, this provider, uh, doesn't have Epic. So, um, I would have to like go to that provider's office, print out all the information yeah. and then bring it back and scan it in. Um, you know, uh, you know, same thing with like my vaccination records from when I was a kid. It'd just be really nice to not just have those as PDFs, and um, it'd be cool if it could digest that information and then, you know, add it to the culmination of everything. I wonder how many patients wonder about those things. I mean, I've heard, I've heard many people talk about the fact that they don't understand the numbers, and I'll tell you that what we've generally been able to, how we've reassured ourselves as healthcare providers is that the patients who don't need to know the numbers or, or don't understand them stop trying to figure out how to use their portal that way so they don't call us because they stop looking. That's what we, you sort of heard uh -huh. that when Will was talking about, in one of our episodes when he was talking about, um, about illness that he had, he mentioned that he just stopped looking at when he got notifications about tests, he waited for his doctor to call him. That would be Friday, November 12th's episode of 21st Century Cures, What Song Are People Singing? Now back to our show. Because he knew he wouldn't know what it was when he saw it. That's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is the people on this call who actually generally do know enough medicine to kind of get themselves in trouble. So they want to get into it and look at the data and figure out the trends and seven out of what and all that. And they they should have a way to I was actually looking I pulled up my portal here because I wanted to see here's our portal you can't oh you can't let's see 
There it is right there. Uh, I was trying to see if there was a way that it would explain the test to you, and you're right. I thought if you touched the right thing, it would tell you. It never does. You're right. Some of them show ranges, but not a lot. Yeah. And as you're saying that, Kevin, I'm thinking about my uh, my kids' portal, and um, we do ranges. track trends, but it's usually only for young ages and then older ones, like uh, osteoporosis. We'll we'll track that information, you know, because we want to make sure that people are. Uh, not getting uh, stronger osteoporosis and, and you know, we'll make sure we're tracking that. We also check Bradley's growth chart, um, you know, as he's younger, but it's like this middle ages of, you know, after you become an adult to once you start to become decrepit, uh, we don't track anything. <laughs> That's I right. I just wanted to say decrepit. I know you got it in there. Kevin, how much, how much, so since you've already heard from some of the patients that they don't know what things mean, is that going to impact your studies? Is that something you're going to have to fix? Um, yeah, it's certainly something I'll write about, um, and, and, and try that's, to... That's a clever academician's way of saying, <laughs> I have to stay focused so I can get promoted, but I'll add it, <laughs> I'll put it over there someplace. Yes, um, but I do think it, it is a, a noteworthy uh, challenge um, to understand um, how patients are interfacing and then how can we, um, you know, make it better for them? Um, so it is something I'm hoping to address in my future research and um, make these tools a little bit more functional uh, for you know, different demographics. There you go. Do you see it um, connecting with other apps uh, that maybe are a little bit more like uh, friendly, like at Apple Health, for example? Mm -hmm. um, you know, our, our MyChart app connects with that a lot of do a lot do um but are there ways to connect in in something that's a little bit more patient friendly or, or person-centric that could uh make our portals a little bit more um easier to understand and, and have digestible information yeah I, I think there are different approaches um that can be taken um certainly with um uh, like the um, infrastructure that's been uh, created with by legislation, uh, more of these companies that are focused on like user-centered design, user-friendly interfaces, could um, work with uh, you know data from the EHR system to create things that specialize and that focus on the end user. Um, so I think more of that is happening. Um, and I think there's more room for that. Um, but our EHR companies, our patient portal companies, are they working on um, making a, a user, uh, more user-friendly interface for patients? Um, certainly, I think uh, like, you know, maybe a decade ago, people were less hopeful of that. But, you know, if just anecdotally speaking from the changes that I've seen in my chart, they've, they've come a, a long way yeah. Um, it's still a headache, <laughs> you know, for a lot of people, but they've come a long way. You know, Jane, you talked about how you hadn't been to the, you hadn't visited the portal in a while. So back yeah. in 2016, when Vanderbilt had its portal, I used to get constant badgering from my boss about when are you going to make this thing as easy as open table? That was the conversation. It was, I want to schedule something. I want to just be able to go and say, I want to see this doctor at this time. And now we have that, but it's because the company that made this 
was actually quite a bit further ahead in terms of providing it. One thing we don't have, anybody here have an Apple Watch other than me? Yeah, it's in the other room that I have. Don't you wish that the data from the Apple Watch could go into Epic? Well, doesn't it? No. Where does the data go? Does it go anywhere? Into your head, along with all does that music. It <laughs> does go into my head. does mess with me sometimes. <laughs> No, every so because my doctor will say things like, are you dieting and exercising? And I'm like, can you see my screen? And the answer is yeah, they can't. My activity tracker. Right. I, I close my rings. But they don't see anything. Yeah, man. You're right. That, that information doesn't go through, even though, so uh, I want to clarify. When I said that uh, my chart is connected to my Apple Health, it is. But it's only that my chart will send stuff to Apple Health. It's not the other way around. Right. Or, so, uh, you know, it would be nice if it was bi-directional. Yeah. Um, the other thing that would be nice is while I'm connected to my son's portal, um, it's not, my portal's not connected to my other family members. And so it would be nice if, uh, you know, if I, let's say my mom has a heart attack, um, there's some way that my mom's health condition can notify my portal that can notify my doctor. Uh. Uh, you know, this person uh, is probably at a higher risk now for, a cardiology event or cardiology issue. So, you know, you might want to put that into consideration. Yeah. There's this woman named Deborah Estrin who did this really terrific project called Small Data. And her whole project was, she, she gave a talk at, I think she gave a TED talk. And in her TED talk, what she said was her father was living at home and the kids were unaware of the fact that he had been eating less, was sleeping more, and was taking smaller and smaller steps to get around the house. And she said all of the data were there that pointed to cognitive decline and, you know, just frailty, but there was no connection of those data back into anything. There was no escalation, like the, the refrigerator didn't report that it hadn't been opened in 24 hours, and the floor didn't report that his steps were smaller. But the funny thing is we can actually do all of that now. Um, there's people who look at all that, but, but we mostly don't have it. There's, there was actually a kid who presented at the Google Science Fair a few years ago because his dad had a fall risk. He created a sensor that was in the bed so that whenever his father would get up, his mother would get an alert. Huh. So there's, there's way more technology that I'm hoping through digital health we'll be able to bring it all together at some point because the EHR is super full and nobody has any time for anything. But, but we as patients and as family members have a lot more tolerance and have a lot more incentives to, you know, to see. I, w I mean, I would love to know what my daughter is doing right now. I do have Find My Friends running so I can watch her, but I can't always tell what she's doing. <laughs> but I think that goes back to a little bit of what we talked about um, previously is that uh, we can only do with what we know and, uh, and understand. Right. So if we don't know what some of these uh, values mean, um in the medical record and know how to track the trends right um you know because there's a, di a big difference between um ldl and hdl and uh we have to make sure that the patient understands that to know what to do with it um you know all the i had just had blood work done and when i was there my my doctor said you know i won't be able to review these you'll get them back in 24 hours but wait for 40 48 hours for me to be able to say something to you about them so i did um, and I understood it was fine, but, um, you know, I, I know she did a quick review. She checked it off and made sure everything was okay. And then went 
you know, on her day. Um, then it's kind of up to me to decide, like, if I understand it and uh, if I'm going to track it on my own as well. Um, and so it would be nice to be able to give patients a little bit more information so that they can monitor their, their health information as well. So I think the so, theme, the theme I'm hearing here is that if, if Kevon is lucky enough to get this project going and, and younger kids who have HIV and who are getting um, a need from friends to kind of let them up, update them about their, their status and their counseling and everything else, if that works, and with these other portal changes that we'll all be able to rest easy with our portal working the way we want, which is a direct segue into Jane's and Jeannie's lullaby songs. All right, see how I did that? <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> you guys can't see it, but Jane is losing it on my on that segue. She thought that was good. I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> I'm proud of you too, Kevin. Well, I very briefly, I uh, Jeannie had come to me and said she wanted to write a lullaby. She had uh, her daughter-in-law gave birth to twins, and twin little girls, and she wanted to write a lullaby about that. And I said, oh my God, this is so weird because I've been wanting to do this lullaby project. My other friend um, out in LA, Sandra had said to me that her son had written a poem and she thought I could look at it and see if I could turn it into or the beginnings of a lullaby. And I thought I am being, the universe <laughs> is bombarding me with instructions here. And I like to listen to the universe. So I thought, you know, let me see what I can do with this information. And what I did was create this lullaby project and I would like to turn it into a lullaby app. Wow. And uh, there will be an app with these, these are full songs. Most of them are shorter than normal songs, maybe two minutes, um, two and a half minutes. And, um, and then also have a YouTube channel with just the instrumental versions. So that if someone wants to put the YouTube channel on, they put the kid in the crib, they turn it on and there's like an hour and a half to two hours worth of music on them. So we have, so far we have, um, 13, so we're on our 14th song. But um, Kevin had asked me if I would do one of them, and I'm going to just have a disclaimer here. I'm not a singer, I'm a songwriter. And um, although I can carry a tune at times, um, I How am going far? to go <laughs> as far as it'll take me, Kevin. <laughs> Um, let me just pull the lyric up to this. I, I don't think I need it, but just in case. I know, but you never know. It's fairly new. And for people, so, who, I have to say, uh, while you're bringing up the lyric, this is the other thing that just amazes me. Because I couldn't tell you half of the conclusions of the papers I've written. And, and songwriters in town can tell you every lyric of the songs they've written without, I don't even know how you guys remember that stuff. You know, I've been doing it for 40 years. And I've written a lot of songs yeah. and I had an interesting thing happen recently. Um, well, actually, it's just a very few years ago. Um, the first country song that I ever wrote, because I'm born and raised in New York City. We didn't have my we didn't even have a country station. But um, the first when I moved down here, uh, I got a publishing deal fairly quickly. And one day my publisher said to me, you know, Jane, we love the songs that you're turning in 
but they're not country and we're in Nashville and you need to start writing country music, you know? So I wrote a song and um, it actually ended up being my first cut, what we call a cut, my first recording. And it was recorded by an artist named Tammy Wynette. And I was like, Tammy Wynette was like legendary, you know? And I was like, where do you go from here, you know? But um, I don't even remember. To lullaby songs. Thank you. So anyway, you know what? I'm going to just do this song. Kevin asked me to do a song, so I'm going to do it. Oh, no, I'm sorry. So this song was written, uh, I think I wrote it about 39 years ago. Oh. And yeah, at this point. Not not this one, the Jamie Wynette song. And I started performing it out in, in when I would play in writer's rounds. I'd say, hey, you know, I'm going to do this song that Tammy Wynette recorded. You know, it's a fun little ditty. And it had been 39 years. I remembered every word of the first verse. And I remembered every word of the chorus and of the bridge and of the chorus and out. And I was a happy camper. And I played it like that for about a year, a year and a half. And then one day, a friend of mine said, you know, I pulled up the Tammy Wynette song on YouTube because I, I never heard her sing it. And it's got another verse, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And I I went to YouTube. I had completely forgotten about the second verse. And it's a good verse. (laughs) Wow, who wrote that? Oh, I did. (laughs) I did. It was was so bizarre. I'm sorry. I digress all the time. That makes me feel better. Yeah, really. Um, Okay, let me just pull out the lyric. So when Jeannie and I wrote this particular song, it was right, right after, well, I can tell you May 11th is when we wrote it. I'm looking at the lyric sheet, May 11th. And um, it was right at the, fairly at the beginning of the um, Ukraine conflict. And as I was doing, you know, playing, coming up with the music and whatever, it just hit me that I felt like we were writing it for the children of Ukraine. Oh, wow. It could be for any child, you know, but the name of the song is Peace Child. And it's, uh, I don't know, hopefully you can hear me. Peace Child, I wish you peace. Like a still summer night with the stars twinkling bright. Sweet Peace Child. In your dreams drift away to that happy place where you can sleep in peace, child. If I could, I would stop the rain from falling. The sky would always be blue. And everything you touch would be golden and every heart you meet would be true but most of all i wish you peace child i wish you peace like a still summer night with the stars twinkling bright Sweet peace, child, in your dreams drift away to that happy place where you can sleep 
in peace chat angels watching over you taking special care to cover you with love and hold you in their prayers for peace child Like a still summer night With the stars twinkling bright Sweet peace child In your dreams drift away To that happy place Where you can sleep In peace child Uh, we have recorded that, so not me singing, obviously. Well, that was beautiful. You know, it's yeah. a great, I have to say, it's a, not only is it a great melody, but it's a complicated rhythm. Oh, yeah. it's a little bizarre. I tend to be a little left of center in everything I do, so. <laughs> Yay, we love that about you. <laughs> Kevon, you were into that, I could tell. Yes, yes. Oh, good, I'm so yeah, glad. Yeah, I love uh, the different musical pieces um, to it. Beautiful song, beautiful lyrics, mm -hmm. yeah. Very touching. Was Thank the um, bridge, the angels watching over you, was that a bridge? Yes, that is oh. the bridge. <laughs> okay. okay, that's what I thought. That yeah. is the bridge. I, I tend to do, my bridges tend to be a little, uh, definitely left of center. Jeannie always says to me, where do you come up with these chord changes? It's like totally <laughs> alien to anything that should be there. You know, but, but it, it works. works. Yeah. It works. It works. <laughs> I have to say this, listening to the lyrics, I was trying to enjoy the lyrics, but I kept having this visual of this being in front of Kiev. Like, like I can just see the background to the music video. I've already got We Are The World. Trust me. I mean, I hear big, oh yeah. I hear like, you know, 30, 40, 50 voices on this thing. Totally. There totally. you go. Yeah, well, well, maybe we should, you know. I get on my little lullaby app. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think your app, I think the app idea is really interesting. So we'll have to see if other people agree. She's, she's got an in to a big time app person who's going to help put it together. Well, he doesn't know he's helping yet. I haven't told him, but I know that. Hey, what's his name? We'll put it in the podcast and then you can send him the podcast. <laughs> oh my God. Did, was your name in there? I'm, well, there, there's only a, there's like five thousand people who listen to it, so you don't have to say yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, so first of all, Kevon, thank you so much for going through and and kind of you know stimulating a conversation that we had about portals based on the work you're doing, and then thank you, Jane and Jeannie. Thank you so much for coming and doing a little harmony back there. I heard you back there doing that harmony. It was so nice. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for asking me, Kevin. I love doing these. I just think they're so interesting. Well, yeah, Obviously, totally out of what I normally do. So this is fabulous. And, you know, you say that you're not a storyteller, but you tell some pretty good stories. <laughs> Sarah, thanks for coming. As always. Thanks again to our guests, Kevon Jackman 
and Jeannie McQuinn for joining Sarah Bland, Jane Bach, and me in that discussion. There's a lot more to be done with the patient portal, as you heard, but it's come a long way, kind of like uh, everything else that we're witnessing in informatics in this millennium. Thank you all for listening. By the way, we've got some great topics queued up, so please stay tuned. And finally, I want to thank Jane and her team for producing that wonderful lullaby and thinking about the times we're in globally as they produced it. Lots of people need help right now, and I hope her project gives all of them peace. Be well. Peace, child.